Well, hey there, this is Kim Constable. Welcome to the Kim Constable podcast. Nobody cares work harder. So I bet you did not expect to hear from me. I tripped over my words a little bit there. I was like, but I bet you didn't expect to hear from me on a Sunday. But I have something very, very exciting to share with you in this bonus episode of the Kim Constable podcast. Let me just tell you how it all came to pass. So yesterday, I was just flicking through Instagram, as you do, and I noticed that on one of my favorite people to follow on Instagram, the one and only Chris Voss, aka the FBI negotiator, I noticed that he was running a five-day challenge, a free five-day challenge to learn all about negotiation. And of course, as soon as I saw this, I reached out to him and I said, Chris, I really want to share this with my audience. Can you please, you know, let me know how I can share this? Can you tag me in it or can you put a post on your timeline? And so he wrote back and said, yeah, of course, sure, no problem at all. You know, I can do that. And thank you so much for sharing. Now, here's the backstory. I have been chasing Chris Voss to try to get him into a podcast interview for months. When I say chasing, not really chasing, because I reached out to him on Instagram and I asked him, would he be a guest on my podcast? He said, absolutely, I would love to. So my executive assistant, Christina, and his executive assistant have been trying to organize, you know, the podcast interview and trying to make it fit into both our schedules. But yesterday, after I reached out to Chris, I was just like, you know what? I had, maybe the universe put this in front of me. I have to grab hold of this with both hands. So I messaged Chris and I said to him, I have this radical idea. I said, the challenge starts on Monday, which is tomorrow, Monday, the 18th of January. And I said, the challenge starts on Monday. Can we swing it to record a podcast interview and I will send it out to my list and I will, you know, put the podcast interview live on Sunday so that we can get as many people as possible to sign up for this challenge. Because truly, Chris Voss and his book, Never Split the Difference, and his masterclass on the app Masterclass, which is all about negotiation, has literally changed my life. And I don't say that lightly. There's very few people that I think I have ever said on this podcast that have been truly life-changing for me or that their work has been life-changing, but Chris Voss is absolutely one of them. I first found out about him about 15 months ago. And I read his book, Never Split the Difference, and then I watched his masterclass and I started using what he teaches, the, the, the tools of negotiation that he teaches to navigate better relationships with my husband and my kids, with uh, the people who work for me. I started to negotiate better deals in business and it has been truly transformational. This guy is absolutely unbelievable. And not only was he one of the top FBI negotiators, hostage negotiators in very, very tense situations, but he has now developed his company, the Black Swan Group. I think his son works for him as well, but we didn't even have a chance to get into that in the interview because we just chatted so much. But, you know, it's just what he has achieved in this life is truly exceptional. And then how he has taken what he has achieved and developed it into ways to teach others to have more in their life and to be better in their life really is just so inspiring to me. So um, Chris and I met this morning very early. It was 7 a.m. my time. He's in Las Vegas, so he was nine hours behind. So it was 10 p.m. his time. So we really did just pull this interview out of the bag very last minute, very quickly. And I am absolutely and utterly honored to present it to you. It is honestly one of the favorite, one of my most favorite interviews. It's one of the best interviews I've ever done. And I just adore Chris. And he dropped some incredible value bombs in this interview. So I just, I know that you're going to love it as much as I did it. So I am going to pass over to the interview with Chris now. And I will catch up with you guys at the end of the interview. 
Chris Voss, this is such an honor for me. Um, I can't believe we made this happen so quickly. It's 10 p.m. with you. It's 7 a.m. with me. And uh, and yet here we are. This is how the magic happens, isn't it? Seize the opportunity and go for it. Yeah, the universe lined up. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm happy to be on with you. Thank you. Yeah, well, honestly, I said to you just before this interview started, this really is such a massive honor for me because... I found your book, Never Split the Difference, um, I think it was about 14, 15 months ago, maybe now. And what's interesting is I had never actually thought about negotiation as being a life skill. I'd always thought about it as being a business skill. My husband is actually a contract negotiator by trade. He negotiates uh, rugby contracts. So he's like the Jerry Maguire of the rugby world. So anytime All anything right. ever any, any came up with, or anytime anything came up with negotiation or I would have seen... Um, a book about it or a masterclass, I would have sent it to him, assume, you know, thinking, oh, this might help you. And here's a great, a great life skill. And so what happened was about 15 months ago, we actually, I, I was having an issue with someone in the business who I wasn't really performing the way I needed them to perform. They were kind of being a, a little defiant with me and nothing I did, and no matter how I positioned it, how I moved it, was, you know, was helping this person. And I kind of didn't want to fire them because they were valuable to me, but I also needed them to toe the line. And so I was really struggling with a way to um, with to be better skilled, I guess, in communicating. And so I find I began to search on um I began to search on Audible for, I thought there must be something out there that can help me. Some kind of, you know, what I want to do is negotiate with this person. And so whenever I searched on Audible, your book, Never Split the Difference, came up. And I just thought the title was fantastic. And I thought, oh, this, this looks good. Okay, I'll listen to this because I'm a big audio learner. I, I, I learn while I'm driving and I learn, you know, while I'm walking. And, and so I bought your book and I started to listen to it. And immediately it made sense. It just, everything about it made sense. And your stories were just fantastic fantastic because I do this podcast. Everyone who listens to this podcast, we have a big listening base and they will always say they love my stories. I tell stories. That's how I yeah. illustrate points. So I was yeah. so, I was like, oh my God, not only does he tell stories, I'm totally into it, but like I can relate to everything you're saying. And so I took, I took what you'd, what I'd learned from the book and I applied it to this situation and it worked. I started mirroring and labeling and I, I, I started, you know, bringing right. in the negatives and trying to get to know and all of the, just, you know, I, I began to like write down all the points that you taught and I began to then practice them in life everywhere, not nice. just with, with this employee, but in life. And it, the book absolutely changed my life and wow. it really did change my life. And I think that, I think because I had a situation that I could apply it to at the time, it was good because it wasn't just like a general learning. I actually had something that I could, you know, the learning was more deep for me because I could take everything you taught and apply it. But really that is how I, how I came to know you. And so, um, and then of course I, I joined masterclass. So I was in masterclass and when I saw you were doing a masterclass, I was like, oh my God, not only is he doing, you know, got the book, he's doing a masterclass. And then of course I watched it like several times. My son has watched it. My husband has watched it. I've told everyone to watch it. So when you agreed to come on this podcast today, truly, I don't think I've ever had anyone on here that I can truly say has changed my life, my business, has helped my business in the way that you've helped it. Um, and so I just wanted to give you that little bit of tribute and, and feedback before we started. Did you know the book would do that? Is that what your intent was? You're like, I want to change people's lives with this book. You know, we, we hoped it would. Certainly, you have those kind of hopes when you put together a book. And But that's the thing that has really turned out to be so cool about all this, is that we are helping people have better lives, change their lives, give the kids a better life. You know, and, and the, the real, the unspoken thing that's right there, but 
a lot of people don't realize it's never at anybody's expense. Like all the stuff that you talked about, you didn't change your life, make your life better at anybody else's expense. It's all within collaboration. And one thing that I really noticed when I, I first started teaching negotiations, I was teaching it for a couple of years in a couple of different business schools before the book came out. And somebody found out that they say, hey, it's, it's, it's a guy, Chris Voss. He teaches negotiation at Georgetown or wherever. And I'd meet some business people. And sh- sure enough, someone would pipe up and say, yeah, let me tell you about this negotiation. Boy, I had these people on over a barrel. There was nothing they could do. Now, there's two problems with that story. Number one, you know, they wanted somebody else's expense, which meant they left an enemy behind them. Number two, they haven't had another. They have stories like that every five, six, seven years. I mean, you're talking right now about an ongoing process of changing your life, making your life better right now. You're not talking about you know, well, the last time I had a good negotiation was five years ago. The the victories are, are so sporadic when you're a win-lose negotiator and you don't have that many victories. I mean, you're not, you're not giving your family a better life at that rate of success. So that, that's what's really, that's really what's been cool about the book, helping people get better all the time. Yeah. I think that also just how you teach the way that you lay it out is so is so beautiful which we will get into um some specific some specifics if you like in a in a little while but what i would love to know is you know i I've, I've given a little bit of background about who you are but how did you what what is your backstory you were at one of the fbi's top negotiators i mean i know the backstory obviously but tell my listeners how did you get into what it is that you're doing now well, I was, you know, in, in law, I was in law enforcement. I was a police officer, Kansas City, Missouri Police Department, then became an FBI agent. I was re- originally a SWAT guy. I was on a, uh, my first assignment in the FBI was Pittsburgh. I was on a SWAT team there. And, uh, and then I tried out for the FBI's version of the Navy SEALs in my next office, a hostage rescue team. And uh, the first time I tried out, I wasn't in good enough shape. And I realized I had enough ability. I could have made the team. You know, like I could have made it to the NFL. It wouldn't have been a starter, but I could have got into the league. So then I started working out again and I re-injured my knee. I'd torn up my knee and in college I was in martial arts because I figured I needed physical skills to be in law enforcement. You know, I was trying to prep myself, rip my knee up. And and so anyway, I had to have the knee put back together again. Have to Humpty Dumpty had to get put back together again. And, uh, and I thought, you know, I can't, they're not going to be able to do this to me very many times. We had hostage negotiators. I knew we had them. I didn't know exactly what they did. I figured, you know, how hard could it be? You talk to somebody. I could, I could talk to terrorists. How hard could that be? And, you know, anything that somebody could make look easy is usually really hard to get to that point. And so, so you know, I, I got, I got on, um, I became, you know, I initially got rejected. Uh, the woman that was in charge of the negotiation team in New York, you know, she's kind of skeptical, kind of a tough New York chick. She was like, nah, you ain't, you ain't, you ain't getting in, kid. You got no qualifications. And I said, well, I got to do something. There has to be something I could do. She said, volunteer on a suicide hotline. So I did. And that was a life-changing experience. It was, you know, a suicide hotline is really a masterclass on emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. And and it was so powerful that I started applying it to stuff I was doing in my daily life. 
and then stuff accumulated. I became a hostage negotiator. That suicide hotline experience gave me a real big advantage. And I just kept after it. I just, I loved it. If you're into it, you put in the time and I put in the time and one thing led to another. I love the story, the part of the story where you said, where you kept, you know, you, whenever you went back to her, she was like, no one has ever gone to the suicide hotline and done what I told them to do, you know, is, uh, and I think that that that's, you know, there were little bits that I, I took from the book and I thought if I ever interview Chris Wallace, I'm going to ask him about this because the, the ethos or the, um, the strap line, if you like, of this pos- of this podcast is nobody cares, work harder. You know, and that is kind of how I live my life. I, I'm I'm the kind yeah. of, you know, no BS. You know, it's not what, kind of what I'm known for. Like, pull up your big girl pants and get on with it. You know, I'm always like, nobody cares, truly. Just stop bitching and just work harder. Because that's the yeah. only way to get where you want to go. And I guess that, you know, was it, did you, did you always have that, I was going to call it a dogged determination. It may not be that for you, but was it that you're, you're a good soldier that you, you know, I, we talk about this a lot of my programs, my bodybuilding programs. I'm like the, the people who are successful are the people who take the plan, follow the plan, do what they're told within the plan. And then they achieve success. It's the people who try and bend the rules and move things. And, you know, who come up with excuses and who never really get where they're going. Were you always that kind of person who could apply yourself and achieve a goal? Yeah. that Well, that was the ethic of my family. Like my father was a small town businessman and, um, the ethic was figure it out, work hard, be honest. I, you know, and I just assume I really took that for granted. But, you know, and my father, practical dude, I mean, as soon as we were old enough to take out the trash, you know, he figured I got to feed you, kid. You're going to, you know, you're going to earn your keep around here. And we all we all went to work at a fairly early age. And my son ended up going through the same thing with my dad. And my son and I used to joke. You know, if, if you work for a guy who'll never ask you to do anything he wouldn't do himself, but there isn't anything beneath him, you better be prepared to go to work. Right. You know, and he'd hand you a shovel and say, figure this out. Or I remember he wanted a new garage and he handed my older sister and I crowbars and said, go tear down the old garage. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you learned know, to work ethic very young. We learned to work. We learned to figure it out you know, to see if you could tackle it yourself. And, you know, he never, he never actually came right out and said it, but honesty was always part of it. You know, my father had a lot of integrity. He was, he was ridiculously hardworking guy. And so, yeah, work hard, figure it out. I mean, don't work stupidly, you know, um, try to figure out the most effective way to get it done, but get it done. Yeah. Get it done. And emotional intelligence is big part of what you do would you agree yeah it's it's all of it it's all of it where did you learn that because that isn't something in my experience as a mother of four as someone who's very interested in the development of the you know the child's brain and the developing brain and about nature versus nurture well you know I'm the kind of person that whenever I take something on or whenever something's important to me, I go very deep into the study and the psychology of it. I don't, I, you know, whenever whenever I had a baby, I didn't just go, you know, I suddenly I had this baby and I realized, 
you know, I, I'd never had any lessons. It's not like driving a car. They don't let you out in a car until you've, you know, had lots of lessons and you've, you know, gone through a test and you've proven yourself to be a good driver. But yet suddenly you have this baby and I was, I don't know what the hell to do with this thing. And so I began to then re- go really deep into child psychology and how the developing brain worked and the synapses and all of the different, you know, the, the ways that I could parent my children effectively. I'm just that kind of person. But so my question is, I know that emotional intelligence is something which can be learned in, in later life because I work with my coach two to three times a week. But it's also something I believe that you develop as a child and or something that is modeled for you. Um, that that deep sense of empathy that you seem to have that is necessary, I believe, to be a good negotiator. Where did that come from? Well, it, I learned it. I mean, I, I learned it. I mean, I, if anything about my attitude, like I don't care what works. I just want to know what works, period. Right. Like, you know, in way back when, after the second Iraq war, when there was all this discussion about harsh versus soft interrogation techniques, I thought that was a really stupid discussion overall. Take morality out of it. You know, rapport-based interrogation works. Harsh interrogation doesn't work. You should never get to the question of which one is ethical. And I have very strong opinions on harsh interrogation have, being unethical. Mm-hmm. But you should never even get there because it doesn't work. It's just dumb. I remember when I saw uh, the movie Oh Dark Thirty about catching uh, Bin Laden. I thought, no wonder it took him so long to catch him. Look at how stupid these guys were in their interrogation techniques. So you know, this goes back to the original point: is I just care what works. And so I went, uh, you know, to get, become a hostage negotiator. I told I had to go to the suicide hotline and learn. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. And I and I got there and. They initially said, you, you won't be on the phone with anybody longer than 20 minutes at a time. And I remember thinking, like, wait, wait hold on. No, 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 no. And all the TV shows are on the phone for hours. I just got to take hours. And they go, like, no, if you do it the way we tell you to do, you'll be done a lot quicker in 20 minutes. Those will be the long calls. And it was emotional intelligence. It works. It's that simple. It works. So I'm like, all right, if this was what works, if this accelerates the outcomes, gets you to where you want to go faster, then I'll use it. And that that's really where I picked it up, just because it works. It works faster than anything else does. In negotiation outcomes, relationships outcomes, you pick it where people are involved. It works faster than anything else does. Do you know, I, I would love to know your opinion on this. So I find that many women are scared of negotiating. Is that right. something you find as well, that men are better at it than women? No, as a matter of fact, I think women are naturally more inclined. We know that women pick this style of negotiation up faster than men do. Now, it really depends upon you know, your definition of negotiation and how you see it. And We've talked about this a lot. A buddy of mine who's got a great amount of emotional intelligence, his opinion is that little boys and little girls, you know, boys are taught kind of to fight. Or encouraged to, you know, not supposed to be politically correct. It's not, you know, you're not supposed to say that. Yeah, but little boys fight. Here, I talk about that a lot on this podcast. So I talk a lot about that, how men are brought up, how women are brought up. So you're like, my my listeners love this. So feel free to just go to let rip on it, on your opinions on it. Yeah, sure. So, and, and older women know that you know, at the younger age, even if the little girls are physically as capable or more capable at some ages than the boys are, 
that's going to go away and they're going to physically be the weaker sex. So let's give them a head start on soft power. Let's have them start figuring out soft power at an early age and they get a head start on it and great negotiations about soft power. Now, if you think negotiation is a combative thing to do, first of all, you're leaving money on the table, you're ruining your relationships. You, you know, you're at best, you're a B, a B grade negotiator at best. You will never get to be an A plus negotiator as a combative negotiator. So you're, you're, you're just leaving money on the table. And so we started teaching this and I started noticing that the women were accomplishing successes faster than the men were. I mean, noticeably quicker. And then I started, I started taking a look at it because I've always tried to be gender blind um, and even ethnic blind, blind, you know, like I don't care if you're pink with polka dots and you have no sex. All I care is if you have talent. And, but then I thought, wow, this is interesting. And I actually went back to the guy that started the FBI's hostage negotiation program still around. He's a good friend of mine. He's a phenomenal human being. And I said, Hey man, um, you know, I, I know we were really careful about saying anything about gender in the FBI. What's your opinion? And he said, I always thought women were better. (laughs) So I think they are, it's, 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 Emotional intelligence, soft power. Women have a head start on learning it. When you drop the skills in front of them, they have such an advantage because they've been working at it longer than the men have. Yes, I would. I would agree. I certainly. Um, I certainly would. Yep, one hundred percent. I think what I, what I found certainly with me um, was, I think that whenever I told quite a few of my my female friends that I was. Um, interviewing you or whenever we had had a brief chat kind of via um instagram i actually think i'd had a few drinks when i messaged you that night <laughs> i reread my message after i was like <laughs> definitely wasn't a coherent message <laughs> so you have to forgive me for i tend to do that sometimes um and don't get Is it me champagne wrong. night yeah here how did you know about champagne friday <laughs> uh, you know i looked you up i know a little <laughs> bit about this stuff Yes, well, I'm Irish, so you know that's what we do here. We drink, you know, not not too much, but we we enjoy a drink, and so then I tend to reach out to people I want to interview on my podcast. When well, what's the saying? God invented alcohol so the Irish wouldn't rule the world. <laughs> that's so true. I love that saying. Um, or we could do both, and then we could just you know, and we we just can't understand a lot of the combative stuff in the world. We're like, but sure, just have a drink and have a have a chat about it, or have a cup of tea. <laughs> you know, it doesn't it doesn't make sense to us. <laughs> but whenever I'll tell you specifically what happened, I was there's actually actually um my trainer's wife so my my a bodybuilding trainer his wife was buying him a um what was it uh an infrared sauna for christmas by and the I way have... i'm mostly irish too my ethnicity i did my dna i get i get a heavy duty irish in me really irish grandparents yeah. or yeah irish irish on, on both sides of the family a part of the u.s that i'm from you know we're kind of a standard irish german mix and the, the name is is dependent upon, you know, it's either German or it's Scandinavian because Voss waters from Voss, Norway. And but, you know, everybody always I had an uncle that always talked about the German in us. And I, you know, I thought maybe 25 percent Irish or so, but I did the DNA and it was heaviest Irish. It was heavier than anything else. That's why I've always loved you then, because you're your family. <laughs> your family. For yeah, God's there sake. you go. Amen. Yeah, it's in the DNA. 
Um, but yes, Lee, uh, Mark's wife. So she was buying him an infrared sauna for Christmas and I had bought one from the same people. And, she, and she'd said to me, oh, you know, they're amazing for recovery. And so whenever they were, because uh, I've taught my assistant, Christina, to how to negotiate, just using all the strategies in your book. And uh, and so whenever they came back, they were like, oh, they don't have a one person. They only have a two person. And they said, it's going to be X amount of money. And I was like, no, 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 no. I said, throw them a low anchor. I said, like, like go in at like half the price. And then, you know, and I, I said, but I'm prepared to pay this. And I told her I was prepared to pay. So we negotiated back and forth and back and forth. I ended up getting a massive discount on it. So nice. whenever then Lee was buying her infrared sauna, she said, oh, I'm, I'm buying the infrared sauna. Or I bought the infrared sauna. And she said, they only had a four-person one, and I said, uh, "I said, well, I hope you got a good discount on it." And she said, "Oh no, no, I, I, you know, it's, it's." She told me the price; it was expensive, and I said, "Hang on, so they're delivering it in Christmas Eve, and you're paying them cash." I said, "So they're going to arrive with the sauna to your house, and you're paying them in cash." I said, "And you didn't negotiate a discount?" I said, "Come on!" I said, "You have a massive opportunity. They want to shift these before Christmas. You know, you want to pay yeah. less." I said, "They'll have a good margin." And I said, "It's a game. It's fun." And she was like, "Oh no, no, I couldn't. I just couldn't. I couldn't." And I so I gave her. I said, "Like honestly, this is what you do." And I laid it out for her. This is what you do, and blah blah blah. So then um, after Christmas, I said to her, "Well, did you get a discount on it?" She said, "Oh no, I just couldn't. I just couldn't. I, I just felt really bad." Uh-huh. And then another girl beside her. At the Jim said, Oh no, I couldn't either. She goes, I, I can never negotiate. I, I hate asking for discounts and I hate, you know, and I thought, and this is something I see everywhere, Chris. Whenever I speak to women, yeah. I say to them, you know, in my company, I say, No, no, we don't want to be paying that. This is what we want to pay. Go in and negotiate. But they see it as a, um, I don't know. They're scared of it. They don't, women tend to, and I was too. I was scared of it too. I have to be honest. I would, my husband used to say to me, oh, negotiate on that or get a better discount. Oh, that, that's not their, that's their, their first price. That's not their real price. You can get it for less. And I used to think like yeah. I was, um, how did I used to feel? Like I was doing them a disservice or I was trying to um, pull up. I think that I'm the kind of person I don't, I don't know. Anyway, I felt like I was being dishonest or something, or like it was a, before I learned the skills and the strategies and before I learned, you know, um, that their first price is rarely their best price. It, it seemed it's, I don't know. It seemed icky for me. I can't put a word on it. Normally I can put a word on everything, but I find this consistently with women that they are much less inclined to naturally negotiate, especially if it's for a a cheaper price or for a better deal or in business, we're much more, but yet we're much better negotiators with our children. You know, I see my husband, he comes in and and he's much better at night, but he's very might might is right with the kids. So he'll be like, this is the way it is. I've said, this is what you have to do. Go fucking do it. And I'm like, Ryan, no, you need to negotiate with them. You need to give them something they want, be willing to. And I would have done this naturally way before I read your book. And that was so natural for me in that area. So I'm wondering out loud, is it that it's more natural for women to negotiate in the family environment? It's just what they're used to. And it's more natural for men in the in in a business. And how can women be better at it? That's I have a lot of women listeners, but I know they want to be better negotiators. And so I'm trying to, I guess, what I would love to hear your opinion on is how can women overcome that fear that they have right. of negotiating? Well, I think, first of all, one of the, one of the problems, but it's also an advantage is women have, have fewer other women modeling it for them. So there aren't that many women around and not really sure what to do. And if they're relationship oriented, then they're seeing men doing it in a way that seems to damage the relationship. They're not enthusiastic about that. If you're relationship oriented, you don't want to damage the relationship. There can be a variety of things that get in your way. 
the, the other thing that you mentioned, like if you can look at it as a game, like this isn't, you know, this is just fun. Let's just have a little bit of fun with each other. Let's kid around a little bit. That that immediately changes everything because then if you're having fun with somebody, you're not damaging a relationship. You know, you're having fun with them. You're negotiating with them instead of against them. So a lot of it has to do with your attitude. Then, of course, it's a scientific fact. You're smarter if you're playing, if you're in a positive frame of mind, a playful frame of mind. Sean Acker did a great uh, TED talk called The Happiness Advantage, Harvard psychologist, where he said you're 31% smarter in a positive frame of mind. So also making it a game makes you better at it in 31% better just by flipping a switch in your brain. So it's a little bit about how you teed yourself up with it ahead of time. Is this fun? Am I, am I trying to hurt them or am I, trying to, am I trying to have fun with them? One way is harder to do if you're relationship-oriented. If you're having, trying to have fun with them, then then that gets you into a new paradigm. Then have you seen anybody do it? You know, Have you seen the other person have an interaction? And, and how they're treated. Like one of, one of the things we live by, never be mean to somebody who could hurt you by doing nothing. Which is like everybody you talk to. Explain well, that. Flip- Hang on. I need to get my brain around that. Never be mean to somebody who could never hurt you by doing nothing? Who could hurt you? Who could hurt you by doing nothing? By doing nothing. Explain that to me. In action. If, mind. if just If just they did nothing. You go to them for help and they say, ah, you know, can't help you. Well, they could have helped you if they felt like it. That's the flip side. Anybody you talk to, like, you you know, when you go out to get a cup of coffee, you know, if you're, if you're grumpy, you know, they might give you decaf, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That would be very bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, or or if you're grumpy, maybe they take their time. They serve four or five other people ahead of you. Mm-hmm. But you know, you walk in, you're in a good mood. You know, you joke around with them. You know, you make them feel better. I mean, everybody you interact with could do something to help you if they felt like it. Put you at the front of the line. You know, move you up a little bit. Give you a little extra. Whatever it is, I mean, those people are everywhere. You make you make tiny differences in your day on a regular basis. So, and and they could if they felt like it, and they they feel great about it. I mean, you know, we're we're working on another book right now. One of the stories I tell is, you know, I, I had I owed some late charges on a credit card. So these are you know I paid late. These are legitimate late charges. Like you know whether or not, and they bang you hard. You know they hit you hard on those late charges. That's a whole separate profit center. But these are legitimate charges. You know I made the guy feel real good about the interaction. He waived the charges, and he felt better when we were done talking. Like he literally says to me on the phone, "It was a pleasure helping you today," and he meant it. So here's a guy that gave me some of his company's money that he was entitled, they were entitled to, and he was actually happier doing it in the process. So if, if your goal is to leave somebody better than you found them, then they'll be happy to help you out. You're better off financially and they're better off as human beings because you're the only person that was, might've been the only person that was nice to them, especially if they're in customer service or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like nobody else calls them and lifts their day. Everybody else gives them a hard time. So when you take that attitude towards negotiation, then it's no longer hurting people when you're, you know, when you're getting a better deal on a sauna. Like the sauna people, 
How many saunas they sell last year? How many customers griped at them, complained about the price, complained about the delivery? And it was a, a, a negative interaction for them. You can negotiate with them and make them feel better about the whole transaction and still be better off financially yourself when you're done. Mm-hmm. And you have um, a, a five-day challenge coming up starting tomorrow, actually, which we're going to talk about um, in a second. But I can confidently say from what you have from what you're talking about now that that reading your book and watching your masterclass and just you know interacting and I'm going to do the five day challenge myself and um, you have saved me thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars immediately after I read the book I hadn't even read the full book I'd only met about read about mirroring labeling which I would love to talk about next or some of the different specific strategies and I used and I think it was is a low anchor, isn't that what you call it? It's about a year ago now. I've read the book. Is it throwing out a low anchor? Isn't isn't that yeah, what you call yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. And so yeah, I was yeah. in a negotiation the very next day after just reading. I think the first couple of chapters. I hadn't even finished. I hadn't even got to the end. And uh, somebody that I was negotiating with wanted thirty thousand dollars for something. And I was, and I was like, and I went back and I said, you know, I said I really just didn't expect it to be that much. And truly, I just couldn't pay more than five. And I, so he wanted $30,000 and I threw out five and he was like, five. And I was like, honestly, that's all I budgeted for. And so we jostled in position, jostled in position, ended up getting it for $12,000. I got him down from $30,000 to 12, just from throwing out the low anchor. And then I went back and forth and I was like, I was like, okay, I think I could have, you know, I could, I've looked at my finances. I could afford to pay. And I think we settled on like $11,425. And and it was like, and, but then there was a part of me was fearful of like, and and then what happened, I'll tell you was, then my ego got, came into play. I was like, well, I want to be seen as a successful businesswoman. I don't want to be seen as the kind of person who can't afford to spend this money. You know, my (laughs) ego was like fighting with me, wanting to be perceived as a certain way by this person. And then I was like, hang on, you have a chance, Kim, to save an enormous amount of money here. And I got them literally from from 30,000 to like 11,450, whatever it was. And, uh, and we went back and forth and back and forth. And, I, and he felt like we, and we have done so much business ever since then. It was actually really fun to do. He didn't, like he wouldn't have settled on that amount if truly he couldn't have afforded it. You know, I bought a, a, yeah. I bought a, I want to really hit home here why this is so valuable to learn. I bought a car for my housekeeper recently because she was in a car accident. She couldn't afford wow. to buy a new car. So Good I bought her a new car. And I squeezed this guy down. And my husband, we were driving in the car and the guy was going, my husband was like, Kim, seriously, now you're just splitting hairs. Like, and I was like, no, but I know that I can get him to this. And and I ended up getting, like, I think it was about, it was a, a three-year-old car. So there wasn't a lot of margin in it for him, but I ended up getting him down like 2,000 pounds, 2,000 pounds it was. And I remember him saying to me, Kim, seriously, I'm making no money on this. I'm just shifting it, you know? And so in the end, I realized I literally got him as far as I could get him. And we did the deal. And I would go back to that guy and negotiate with him again, you know, if I ever needed to buy another car. And he would probably, and he would be happy to hear from me because it was, as you said, it was a pleasant interaction. I'd never thought of it in that way. So I guess the reason why I'm saying this is because I really want women listening to this to understand this is not a life skill that is just for men. This isn't a business skill that you're teaching. This is something that can be applied anywhere and that can literally save you thousands of dollars that you can yeah. invest in other areas of your life and um, give Chris, yourself a better life yeah give yourself a better life um can you can you talk to us about um like if you could choose the well let's say some say let's say your top one but i'll give you three if you if you want to if you're like i couldn't just choose one what would be your top negotiating skill that if you could if someone 
if, if I said you can only teach these people one skill, what would what would your top skill be? But I'll allow you three if you think one is just squeezing you a wee bit too hard. Well, it, it'd be labeling. And, that, and that's, uh, you know, saying it seems, it sounds, it looks, you seem, you sound, you look. That's sort of the the base level label, if you will. Um, and that, first of all, the, it, it's the most flexible skill. Like I can use labels to ask a question. And actually, that's the way we get, we draw information out of people now. We don't We don't ask questions. Like if I want to know what's on your mind, I could say what's on your mind and you'll, you'll stop and think because of the way I constructed it causes you to stop and think and select and construct an answer, which means you're giving me an in-depth answer, but it's filtered. Now, what I really want is your unfiltered thoughts. So, um, I, I'd, instead I'll say, Seems like there's something on your mind. And you go, oh, yeah. And then you'll start talking. So that's a completely different approach. And that's as a result of a label. And we've come up with, and we're even going to talk about a lot of this in a challenge. We're going to, uh, we're going to be talking about a, a different preparation model that's not even, negotiation preparation model that's not even in the book. Stuff that we've evolved and developed. We're going to be, we're going to be throwing it out in a challenge week. In particular, the emphasis on labels and how to use them and, and how, how to just really, really up your game. And you, a label, we work our way through entire negotiations, only labeling. We open conversations with labels. Somebody, you know, somebody calls in and says, uh, give, us, give us your sales pitch, you know, so what, what do you guys got? How, how, they'll say, how do you guys do your negotiation training? Now, they approach that conversation with a lot of thought. Nobody just suddenly, holy cow, let's call the Black Swan Group right away without thinking about it. So human nature is they've thought about it a lot. And so instead of answering a question, we'll say, wow, seems like you're really prepared for this call. And I go, oh, yeah. And they'll start spilling their guts to us about all the preparation that they went through and why they prepared it. I mean, labels gets people talking so much faster. One of the uh, people in real estate that we've coached to use them, she calls it uh, the tools that unlock the floodgates of truth talk. Mm. So it, it would be labels. You know, I'll ask a question with labels. Or I can, once I get really good at them, I can, like I said, we work our way through entire negotiations, beginning to end. Instead of closing, instead of saying, like, you want to sign on the bottom line, we'll say, wow, it sounds like you're ready to do this. That's a label. Mm-hmm. Like, they'll, they'll either go, yeah, or they'll go, nah, we got some, there's some other stuff we got to talk about. Whatever that answer is, I get right to it. And the, the other thing that's really cool is, like you can use a label to trigger people into ridiculous honesty by getting them wrong. We call them mislabels. Like people are insanely honest when they correct you because when you correct, you get this real hit of dopamine. It feels good to correct somebody. So you don't really think about the fact that you're probably giving up information you shouldn't give up. We're coaching a construction company in London a couple of years ago, they, they're, at a, they're at an impasse. They got a sense that there's an executive on the other side of the table who's not coming to the table, but who's a real prop. 
and they got it narrowed down to two guys. Let's give, let's call them Tom and Bob. So instead of asking who was the problem or where was the problem or what was the problem, asking a question, the negotiator from the construction company says to his counterpart, seems like both Tom and Bob have issues. That's a label, but it wasn't. And uh, the other guy shoots back. No, it's not Tom. It's Bob. Because it was a correction. Now, he should have never given Bob up. Right. That was a bad move. <laughs> he, he threw Bob under the bus. Himself. Yeah, yes, right. Yeah, he, it's he a correction. But correct it, right. Right. Yeah, so, that, you know, there's, there's some really cool, interesting stuff you can do with labels. We do that stuff all the time. And it really is just like playing, isn't it? It really is. And we're not trying to hurt anybody. We're trying to make better deals. You know, these, these skills are just tools. Just like your phone is just a tool. You know, some people use phones to commit crimes. Some people use phones to save people's lives. You know, it's just a tool. Mm-hmm. So, it, and it works. It's just mm-hmm. really effective stuff. Yeah. One of my favorite sayings is um, a knife in the hands of a surgeon is a life saving implement, but a knife in the hands of a murderer is a weapon of mass destruction. Well, not mass destruction, but a weapon that can hurt. You know, it's not the knife yeah. that is the issue, the knife is just the tool, it's the intent behind using the tool. Um, and I think that what you're describing or, or really what I take a lot away from it is the the label tends to take people out of uh, content and into process. So content, I'm really big into what we call content and process. So, and again, it's, it's a kind of, because I, I have a husband and four kids and I also have a big company with a lot of, you know, a lot of employees. Um, I tend to use these skills. I tend to really see them as life skills. And what I have found is that when you get stuck in content with people, you tend to get into a right wrong. So my husband and I, for example, you know, I can say to him, um, you know, you, I was, you know, I was upset the other day whenever we were in company and you cut, you know, you cut me down or you, 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 you said that thing in front of everybody. And that made me feel upset. Or two instances of, you know, and this actually is like a real life thing. He, he, he tends, he, in, in company, he had uh, what I call thrown me under the bus. You know, I think we were having a conversation about coronavirus or something with people who had opposing views to us. And he kind of, you know, what do you mean? What are you saying that for? Because you blah, blah, blah. And he kind of threw me under the bus. Right. And I was like, shit, you know, I didn't expect to be thrown under the bus by him in, in public. So I said to him, you know, you, you kind of threw me under the bus, you know, twice now. And I, you know, and it, it was, it was hurtful. And he was like, but you such and such and such, whatever. And then I said, no, but you blah, 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 whatever. And then we get into content. Then we get into a right, wrong. Now he doesn't want to be wrong. Right. And then I didn't want to be wrong, right. but really right. I just wanted him to understand what, it, how I was feeling, which takes it above into process. And so then I said, hang on, wait, 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 wait. I said, let's stop. We're getting into a right, wrong here. And this is ridiculous. And I think that this is where most people get stuck, especially with in negotiation. And so right. what then I said was, I said, let's, I said, so, um, I said, let's try and take it higher. So, so let's start again. <laughs> so then I, and then we took, we did, we started labeling and, you know, and so I said, I blah, 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 you know, I felt hurt that you threw me under the bus. And then he came back with whatever. And I said, so it seems like you felt that, you know, it seems like whenever I display a behavior, which is different to what you know is true for me, or if I'm saying something um, in, in company that, you know, that you think I don't believe you want to correct me. And he was like, well, no, it's not that it's such and such. And then he began to explain a bit more. And then I said, so I said, so it sounds like, and I did it again. And I said, it sounds like you, whatever. So I started to get to his belief. I started to get to the emotion behind the, the reason behind why he was 
he had done it, right? Which was nothing to do with, he didn't want to hurt me. He didn't want to whatever. It was something I had said had triggered a part of him that he wanted to correct or something. And so once then we took it out of this, and once then he felt understood by me, then he was able to understand me back. And he said, right. and then then he met me on a completely different level. And he said, so he said, I'm sorry if I if I made you feel that way or I didn't, I didn't, whatever. And we started then actually communicating which was com- which was completely out of content, which is where the right wrong happens, and and up into process, and that is actually now something that we that we practice in our marriage. We practice mirroring and labeling, not so much mirroring. We do that. I do that a lot with him in conversations, and I still think he's going to realize I'm doing it, and he doesn't realize. And I'm like, <laughs> why can he not even know? I'll, you know, so mirroring, which we haven't talked about, is where you repeat, you know, either the last or word of a sentence or the last couple of words of, of that something has said. Like, can, can you give me an example, a good example of mirroring? Yeah, it's just, you know, just, just, it starts with just repeating the last one or three words of what somebody just said. It's just a great connector and it's, it helps people keep going. It connects their thoughts. It's, it's much better than saying, what did you mean by that? So if you want them to continue and expand, instead of saying, please go on, you mirror and they go on and they expand. And if, you know, for example, when I first started doing this, there was a friend of mine uh, that was teaching negotiation at MIT. Brilliant, brilliant dude. And he just thought the mirrors were just too simple. And we're sitting around talking one night. And he goes like, you know, I, I really don't think mirrors work that good. I just don't see how it's possible that it would help uh, to talk to somebody and repeat the last three words. And I said, the last three words? He says, yeah, I don't, I don't see how that could make any difference. I don't, and he said, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. You just, you just did it to me, didn't you? <laughs> It's so true. And he didn't even realize. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's, it just works. It works. It really does. I don't care what works. I just know it works. But also I think it works for two reasons because I really have tried to evaluate this, but I think it works because not only do you get to, and not, not only do you demonstrate that you have an interest in what it is that the other person is saying, because you're basically asking for more information, but the, what I really truly have have come to realize is the other person feels deeply understood. And I do this with my kids a lot as well. Whenever they come in and they, they want something or they, they're upset about something, especially when they're upset. I think that when your kids come in and they're upset, my kids are young, they're 15, 13, 11, and nine. And I think whenever they're upset about something or they want to tell me something or something's not fair, or I'm not giving them something, whenever someone is upset, what they want more than anything is to feel understood. And I find yeah. that by using these techniques, rather than someone coming in, say one of the kids and saying, but I really want to go to Ava's house and it's not fair that I can't. And you said you'd drive me there. If I immediately go into justification of, well, I can't because we're doing this and blah, 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 whatever. Now we're in a fight. Whereas if I go, you know, you're really upset or it seems like you're really upset. It seems like you really want to go to Ava's house. Yes, I really want to go because blah, 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 whatever. And I just mirror and label a mirror and label a mirror and label. And the next thing within five minutes, she's sitting in my arms, you know, and there's no conflict. It's gone. And she feels deeply understood. And then she's open to hearing my reasons, my possibilities. You know, I once heard somebody explain empathy as, um, Oh, not empathy. Was it uh, something to do with negotiation? No, rapport. Rapport is I Mm. step into your world, try you on, and then invite you back into mine. And ah, I like that. Isn't it beautiful? And I, but I never really, and I always understood that to be a really great way to communicate. It was, I've always been really interested in being a better communicator, a really effective communicator for business more than anything. 
verbal for business and for life. But And I think that what you have taught me and what you're teaching is the skills to be able to do that. Because, you know, it's, it's all very well to be able to say to somebody, you know, in process, oh, step into, you know, their world and then invite you back into theirs. Well, that's all very well and good, Kim. But that's like saying, get into that car and drive to Dublin, you know? Now I'm in the car, I'm like, how the fuck do I move this thing? <laughs> so I just love, I just love what it is that you teach. Can you tell I'm a fan, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, the other thing too is you're you're using it and it's working. Yes. I mean, yes. you know, cl- clearly you're coachable, you're open to learning, you're relationship oriented, you're not particularly interested in wasting time. No. And so you're using this stuff and it works. And you're like, uh, you know, number one, it works. Number two, it's better for relationships. Yeah. You know, my criteria has always been like, first of all, does it work? Does the does the mercenary in you do they are they happy because it works? You just you don't care, no morals. What works? Secondly, is the, is the missionary happy? Now, the missionary is happy because it's actually better for people. It's better for mankind. You know, it ch- hits the check marks on moralistic issues, if you will. So, if your missionary and your mercenary is happy, bang, you got a good skill pull the trigger, go ahead and use it because you, you got nothing to apologize for. You're not wasting time. You're not hurting anybody. I agree. It's so lovely. Um, Chris, what is your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? Wow. <laughs> you're like, you know, oh, don't get me. You just went sideways on me there. <laughs> yeah, there was, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, there's, there's been plenty of failures, a variety, a variety of uh, things along the way. I mean, you know, and, uh, you know, the saying, we keep hearing the saying, you know, I win or I learn. I think um, McGregor, the fighter, was the one that most recently used that. But you win or you learn. So, you got, you know, you're going to have failures of, of whole varying sizes. We had a couple cases in the Philippines. Um, you know, one uh, first big case there, spectacular success. Next one there was a train wreck. And people got killed. And two or three remaining, an American got executed about three weeks in, got his head cut off, Guillermo Sabero. Two out of the three remaining hostages at the end, 13 months later, were killed in a botched rescue attempt by friendly fire. I mean, it was it was just, it was a train wreck. Um, but we decided to get better. You know, we saved other people's lives based on the lessons that we learned. We made massive changes. So, you know, but it was ugly when it went down. I felt sorry for myself for a long time till somebody, till I got reminded in another example, it wasn't any member of my family got killed. I remember, you know, I I felt the darkest moment of my professional career was the end of that case. When I got a call at 5 a.m. and a colleague of mine said, I got bad news, Martin Burnham is dead. And I felt sorry for myself for that for a while until one day it occurred to me, you feel bad. How do you figure the Burnham children feel? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I got no business feeling bad about this because it was I didn't lose my father. So, you know, there were failures and there were mistakes along the way. And you, you're going to make mistakes. You know, what do you what do you do with those mistakes? You pick yourself up, you get better, you quit. Yeah, I'm, I'm about picking myself up and getting better. So, yeah, they were they were failures. You can't you can't be perfect. No. Hostage negotiators are not going to be perfect. You got to, you're going to have to, you're going to have some failures. You're going to have to learn from them. Yeah. But your failures were life and death, you know, sorry, <clears throat> excuse me. They were, they were, I can't even imagine 
what it would be like to be in that situation, knowing that if you fail, someone's life is potentially on the line. You know, no wonder you, when she said, go and join the suicide hotline, you kind of went and joined, you know, I think if you have any, any deep sense of morality, which I guess you would need to, in order to be a hostage negotiator, I, you know, it's, if I fail, you know, I, I drop a weight on myself in the gym or I, you know, maybe I lose a bit of money in the business or maybe someone's feelings are hurt. If you fail as an, F- an FBI negotiator, people die. You know, how do you, how do you, how do you, I can't even, I can't even try that on. I can't even, I can't even, the, I think the courage you would need to have to be able to, to do that job would be phenomenal. But also, I guess it would give you a better perception of, of life, of morality, of what's really important. Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, I get taught by good people on, on a couple of different levels. I mean, I got warned a little bit. I mean, there's only so much warning you can get. You, you don't really know what it's like to go through it. Uh, <laughs> but then I, I can remember my old boss, Gary Nessner, you know, he, he drilled into our heads over and over and over again. Best chance of success. This is the best chance of success. Let's roll into this. You know, let's function as a team. Make sure that we're doing gives us our best chance of success. And then when it went bad, I remember thinking like, well, I guess by definition, that means there's no guarantee of success. Mm-hmm. And again, so you got to you got to you're, you're forewarned a little bit. I remember going through the training. I was sitting next to a guy who'd been in this siege in a hospital that people had gotten killed. And, and, and I didn't know it. And so the second day in, they give us this rundown where um, a hostage is killed on deadline in the United States. And they give us a presentation the second day and you're sitting there and you just like, you just feel like you get smacked in the head with a two by four. You're like, holy cow. And I was sitting next to this guy and we're trying to take in the enormity of what we're facing, not knowing the guy next to me had been through it. And I, and I said, well, I, you know, I guess this is what we agreed to sign up for. And this guy goes, nah, we just didn't know any better. <laughs> <laughs> Which I guess is so simple. It's true. <laughs> and if you hadn't yeah. known, you probably wouldn't have gone into it. I think sometimes ignorance <laughs> is bliss, isn't it? Yeah. You're like, hold on. Let me, let me go be part of the evidence response team where we, we worry about things after they happen, not, not while they're happening. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. I love your stories. I think it's one of the best. Um, it's, it's probably why I think, what makes you such a great teacher as well is how you use stories to um, to illustrate your point. Is that intentional? Do you do you use stories to teach intentionally, or is it just that you have a lot of stories and they naturally come out? Yeah, no, it's it's if you want to teach effectively, again, just tell me what works and work at it. And so you you watch people and somebody. Um, you feel like you learned something from somebody. You go like, "Hey, wait a minute! How, how did that happen? How did they phrase it? Um, you know, how did how did they uh, how did, how do they put it? Who, who's the woman who authored the book Grit? I, I can't think of a name off the top of my head, sure. but she, you know, she gave this she gave a TED talk on grit. It was one of the shorter TED talks, and it, and it 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 was so phenomenally successful that she wrote the book. And I watched a TED talk and I must have watched it 10 times before I realized there was a special way that she was stringing the phrases together. And so I, you know, 
because I want people to learn. If I talk, I don't want to waste your time. So in a variety of ways, I study what people do. And, and, and it always ends, always ends up being some kind of story. My old boss, Gary Nestor, phenomenal storyteller. He'd have you on the edge of your seat telling a story and learn. So I'm like, all right, I got I to gotta, I gotta work at this. I got to practice it. I mean, I went through professional speaker training. You know, I learned it on the job. I went to actual professional training just, just to try to get better at it because I didn't want to waste anybody's time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm exactly the same. I did the same thing whenever I had to give a talk years ago. I was invited to give a talk on unschooling. We do a um, practice. a We don't just homeschool our kids. We do a thing called radical unschooling. I actually hate the, the term, but basically we just live in partnership with our children. We allow them to, um, they have complete freedom and autonomy over their own lives. We live by principles and ethics rather than by rules. So we don't have an authoritarian paradigm. And I was asked to give a speech um, on it in London many years ago. And I remember I was like, okay, how am I going to deliver the best speech ever here? And I thought, well, who do I listen to that is really, that I find really engaging? And every time I listen to this person speak, I'm engaged and I learn something. And it was Tim Ferriss for me at the time, actually. Ah. Um, Tim's a great guy. Um, And and interestingly, actually, Tim has a, a feature in Forbes magazine this month, um, and he named me as the uh, as the owning the brand category in vegan bodybuilding. So that was kind of a nice little circle because I've always fo- followed Tim. But anyway, I, I listened to one of Tim's talks, and I was like, I'm going to write down what it is about what he's doing here that is, you know, there must be some kind of formula that is keeping me engaged. And I realized what he does is brief introduction with a story. Then he he tells a story, then he makes a point. Then he tells a story, then he makes a point, tells a story, makes a point. And it's usually kind of 10 minute introduction or five, 10 minute introduction, 10 minutes, story point, 10 minutes, story point, 10 minutes, story point, conclusion. And once I was like, oh, and I started to notice the pattern everywhere he did it. So that's exactly what I did for my first talk. And then I began to realize that it was it was a really um, effective tool. And so I began to use it for my podcasts. When I do these podcasts, not when it's an interview, but whenever I teach in the podcast, I do exactly the same thing. I think about what I want to teach, what points do I want to teach, what story goes with each point. I tell the story, I make the point. And so it's uh, it keeps people really engaged. And I love that you did it. Um, okay. What else do I, I, so I really want to talk about the five day challenge. Um, I want to ask you one more question though, before we talk about that. Um, and then I have one more question at the end, but so I want to ask you just quickly, what is the one common myth about negotiating that you would like to debunk? Like what kind of drives you a bit bananas when you hear it and you're like, okay, I wish I could put this rumor or this myth to bed. Um, the, the biggest one is, uh, that you got to go first. You know, a lot of people want to stake out their territory first. They want to make their case. I was talking to a guy a couple of years ago, and he said, yeah, I went through negotiation training, and they said, make sure the other side understands your point of view. So you got to go first. I mean, that is so wrong. You know, you, you got to, when you're talking, it's a cliche. You're not learning. I mean, negotiation is an information-gathering process. Let the, the other side go first. They're going to dump a bunch of great information on you, and they're going to feel good about it at the same time because they're they're dying to talk. Those are both in your favor. So the idea that uh, that you should go first, again, you know, it's a it's kind of a B level approach to negotiation. The A plus players, they 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 sit down at the table, boy, they they want you talking. They want to hear what you have to say. They want to hear your ideas. We used to say in hostage negotiation, you know, what is, what's it going to take to get the bad guy out? He's going to tell us, which means we got to get him talking. We got to get the other side talking. Uh, 
and then let them come up with the idea and they think it's their idea, they're going to do it. When you think it's your idea, you, you don't, you remember it and you stick to it. When it's my idea, even if you want to stick to it, you're probably going to have trouble remembering it because you didn't think it up. Mm-hmm. So I'm 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 wanting you to go first. I'm I'm want you to talk. You know I'm going to want you to feel like you won. That means you're going to want you're going to want to do business with me again. If I get if I got to toss out a number to change the paradigm at some at some point in time, I could always do that. But if I did it first, there's a really good chance I left money on the table or. You felt beaten or all these different things that are not to my advantage long term. It's to in my long term advantage to preserve the relationship. And it's and then all the rest of the stuff is to my long term advantage also. But the relationship, you know, you got to want to continue to do business with me so I can continue to succeed. Mm, I guess as well. It's not being vested in the outcome. Do you, I think that, and this is one, an area that really interests me in terms of human behavior. It's something that I work on myself consistently is, um, is kind of vested interest or vested interest emotions right. where I go into a negotiation and I'm vested in an outcome. Like I need it to be a right. certain way. I basically went to it needing to be right. Yeah. Whenever, how do you, like, I'm sure there's negotiations you've gone into even with your wife or your kids or someone who you're a little more emotionally involved with, where you've maybe gone into it and you've recognized that you, you know, that you're emotionally intelligent. Have you found yourself going into a negotiation in the past where you have felt vested in the outcome? And if yes, how have you managed to overcome that so that you you can use the skills that you have or and not allow the vestedness to get in the way. Cause that is something I would struggle with, I guess. Yeah. That, that is, that is a, one of the singular problems because there's always a better deal to be had, but as human beings, we can't get away from, we have an objective in mind when we start. So, and the problem is with having an objective in mind, it tends to narrow your vision to that objective, which means you me you miss opportunities. And that just takes practice. There's no no other way around that. And you know, going in willing to find something better. Like my, my real objective is to go in and find something better than what I had in mind. And that yeah, because uh, and so it gets in the way on a regular basis. Or the biggest thing is like you know you'll defeat yourself in advance. Either, you know they're not going to give me a sweet upgrade. I'm in a bad mood or they're not going to do this. I mean, we defeat ourselves before we get to the table an awful lot. And they're not going to give me a discount on this jacket. You know, it's really easy to beat yourself before you go into the negotiation. So having having the objective in mind is an impediment because it's always possible to do better. Just keeping your mind open to that is if you're tired, it's hard to get there. If you're frustrated, it's hard to get there. Like every hotel I can check into, I can get a better deal than than what my reservation is. But it's all going to be predicated on my approach. And if it's been a really long day by the time I get to the hotel and I'm already starting to get mad because they, I know getting in as late as I get in, I'm probably getting the lousiest room in a hotel. And I know they're going to do that to me. And so I walk in the door in a bad mood <laughs> and overcome, overcoming that is a problem. And I get mad at myself afterwards. I'm like, ah, I was horrible. No wonder they gave you a lousy room. You were a jerk. 
<laughs> never, never be mean to somebody could hurt you by doing nothing. No, I'm sorry, <laughs> sir. This is all we have. So, um, having an objective in mind constrains your thinking, but we can't help it because that's the way human beings are wired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. I guess you and learning the skills, I guess really does just really practicing them as well helps to, um, and understanding that the, I guess for me, whenever I go into an, whenever I go into something and I'm vested, uh, first of all, I try never to negotiate when I'm vested, um, especially with my Good kids point. or my husband Good or idea. anyone who's emotional. Like I, I recognize, first of all, I guess the first step is recognizing that you are, many people aren't really that emotionally aware. So working on your own emotional awareness, being at cause with the fact that you are, and then, um, and then going in with a fresh mind or you know, you're not, you're not going to be picking a fight. So I guess I'm just looking for all the pitfalls, all the, all the areas where I find that I'm not the best that I could be. Um, I'm always interested. If I could jump in too, that's a virtuous circle. If you even take that exercise of trying to recognize your own feelings in those regard, it will make you more sensitive to picking it up in others. Mm-hmm. So that's a real good habit. That's a great habit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they, what is it they say? You can only meet people as far as you've met yourself. You can only understand ah. people as far as you've understood yourself. You know, the the more deeply you connect with your own feelings and emotions, the more deeply you can connect with others. So it's it's definitely something I have found that has has helped me. People ask me a lot in business, especially my team. They'll say, you know, I'll say, oh, well, this person is such and such or whatever. And they'll say, how do you know that? Or I'll look at a situation and my my coaches will come and they'll say, I'm not sure what's going on or whatever. And I'll say, okay, no, here's what she's really asking. And they'll like, how do you know that? I'm like, because if I was this person, this is why I would be asking this. I wouldn't really be asking this. I, w- I always look for the assumption underneath what they're actually saying. What would have to be true for me to ask this question? Rather than yeah, just nice. the question, what would have to be true underneath it for me in my life as a person? How would I have to be feeling? And I try and answer the assumption rather than answering the question that someone has asked. Um, but I think it's a life, I think it just comes from knowing yourself really well, which is what I'm always encouraging people to do. I don't want to take up any more of your time because I know it's late, but what I really want to talk about is this five-day challenge. I have signed up, my entire team has signed up. They're all messaging me going, negotiation, is this a skill I need to learn? I've totally signed up. So what I want to know is like the five-day challenge starts Monday, 18th of January, which currently is tomorrow um, from when we're recording this podcast episode, which is going out today. Why should somebody join this challenge? Yeah, we are going to drop a, a, a massive amount of information. It's the first time uh, we just expanded our instructional team to five people. Uh, this is the biggest depth of team that we've ever had. We're bringing everybody to the table. We've never done that before. We've never brought this amount of information into um this space of time over five days we are bringing in some people uh later in the week that have achieved phenomenal results and having them talk about those results um we've never done that before there is just like all this cool stuff that we are dropping out there the support we're putting in the facebook group we've never put the facebook group up like this the additional supportive tools that we're putting up, we've never put, we've never dropped this much information out there in this short a time frame before ever. I mean, we're really excited about what this, what all this is going to do. 
what can somebody expect to learn? Like at the end of the five days, what could I, you know, how would I say I go into it? I'm completely new right. to negotiating skills and whatever. What would I expect to come out with at the end of the five days? We're going to, we're going to give you a real specific model to prepare for all your negotiations. Now the design is for, for you to be able to tackle the biggest negotiation challenge of your life. Now, you may have that identified, or it may be there in front of you right now. You just don't know it. If only you cut that deal. So we're going to give you the opportunity to get better in everything that you do and start. You'll change your life with some kind of a deal this month if you go through this training. Something is coming at you this month. That's going to be a life-changing deal. It's probably disguised. You know, one, one of the books that I'm reading right now, Clive Davis, you know, he uses a phrase that everybody's heard some form of. Every problem conceals a greater benefit. Then the issue is it's concealed mm-hmm. and it's a greater benefit. Like, and everybody's faced problems. Like, how do you unlock and uh, take advantage of that greater benefit that's concealed in that problem, also known as the negotiation that you're staring down the barrel of right now. Something's coming at you this month. We're going to give you a very specific way to prepare for it. We're going to show you how to practice it. We're going to point you at a whole bunch of extra resources so you can continue to practice and you'll be in a position to cut a life-changing deal sometime between now and mid-February. It's amazing. And negotiation is not control, Chris. Sure it's not? I think there's a misconception no. that it is. Yeah, exactly. Secret to gaining the upper hand that a negotiation is given the other side the illusion of control. Let the other side feel like they got control. If you if you want to have control, you're missing you're missing opportunity. You're leaving money on the table, you're damaging a relationship. Controlling someone you know, you, uh, relate. Did, did you like being in a relationship and the other person was a control freak in a relationship? No, that means it's bad for you long term. So your negotiation is not about control. You don't find the best deal by trying to be under control. No, no. I think we just miss how much we negotiate, especially for women. And I, I would love to encourage everybody to sign up for this challenge because truly, you know, it has been life changing for me. And I think as women, we just miss... Cool. The we just miss um, we we don't have a lot of information or we we miss the point that negotiation really is used everywhere in your in your life you know like my daughter was ringing me there which obviously we're going to cut out of the podcast but she was facetiming me to tell me of you know her success at staying at her friend's house for the first time she's always been scared to stay away I don't know why she went through a period of being scared about it and again I was last night I was negotiating with her but I was giving her the control as you say I was you know I was saying you know I was there wasn't I wasn't fighting with her I wasn't saying you should do this or not do this it was it was like a, a negotiation like we use these skills everywhere but I'll go into my multi-million dollar company next week and I'll use the skills in negotiating with my employees, with distributors, with people that I'm, you know, doing deals with, with my, you know, with, 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 my, with my customers. These are skills that we use everywhere. And the better you become at these skills, the better you, a communicator you become, the more success you have in your life. 
That's something yeah. that I have that I have learned. My I want success for everybody. So I really want to encourage everyone listening to this to go and sign up for the challenge. Um, and to be more, to have more success, to have more of what you want, whether that's relationships, whether it's business, whether it's bodybuilding, whether it's, you know, fitness, yeah. whether it's developing a skill in your life, these are life skills that I think everybody needs to learn. And it's something I, my, all my kids have watched your masterclass, but my oldest who's 15 really, really, really loved it. Cause he sees himself as an amazing negotiator. I think we should be teaching this in school. You know, yeah. I think that yep. this is a, this should be part of the curriculum of school. Chris, where can they go to sign up for the challenge? We're going to put it in the show notes too, but tell us as well. Uh, quick, quickest way to find it is on my on my Instagram profile. I'm at the FBI negotiator. I mean, I, I got a post up, a recent post on it that that says, but the link to the sign up is in my bio on my Instagram page at the FBI negotiator. So that's the quickest and easiest way to find it. Perfect. And if you're listening to this on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or on our website, we have also linked to the challenge in the show notes. So you can just click on the link there. It'll take you directly to the page to sign up. It starts on Monday the 18th. Um, can they join late if someone was listening to this on Tuesday or Wednesday, Chris? Is the information available? Could they go back and rewatch the videos or join I the think, challenge? I think we, it should all be on, it should be on a Facebook page. I mean, I think so. I, I think we have it out there. It's I, run, yeah, I think we have the ability a Facebook to get group, it. is it? Lives and yeah, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's a special, it's one of those private Facebook group pages. You sign up for the challenge. You ask for admission to the Facebook page, a uh, massive amount of chat among people that are attending on a face on in the group. Um, a number of the um, additional tools and resources we we put on the, on that in the Facebook group. Also, you know, we're we're trying to we you uh, we're giving you we're going to give you indigestion all the information and <laughs> negotiation information. Nobody's starving with the information that we're going to be handing out on this. I love it. And if somebody is listening to this podcast after the challenge has finished, where can they go to find out more about you, about your programs, about what it is that you offer? Give us your, give us the rundown. The, the our website, um, blackswanltd.com, B-L-A-C-K-S-W-A-N-L-T-D.com. We've got, first of all, you can go there to sign up for our negotiation, weekly negotiation newsletter it comes out every Tuesday morning. It's free. That's not its real value. The fact that it's actionable and concise is what really makes that valuable. Like I get the ta daily 10 point briefing from the wall street journal. There's so much stuff in there. I don't even read that thing. Mm -hmm. Ours, you know, ours come out. It's one actionable newsletter. When you sign up for the newsletter, then you also get announcements. Like everybody that signed up for the newsletter, got an announcement about the, cha the challenge on their inbox. We got a ton of free resources on the website. We have free, um, white papers. We got free, um, eBooks. We got um, special, uh, like the three negotiation types, you can download tons of stuff for free. With the book and the, and the free stuff on our newsletter, you can get a long way. Yeah. You can get a long way with the book and all the stuff that we put out for free. And then when you, when you really, when you want to go to really high speed, then we get training that we'll charge you for. But until you've read the book, you're going to be lost in our in our higher level training anyway. So, go to the website, you know, get the book. The book is the book is nothing, and take advantage of the free stuff. The book meaning get, never you, never split the difference. 
Never split the difference. Yeah, it's available on you know on Audible, obviously on your website. On I'm guessing on Amazon. I mean, it, and I would highly recommend that people. I find great value. I, I own the actual book because after I'd listened to it on Audible, then I wanted to, you know, be able to highlight and chapters and I'm a really good student. And uh, so I bought the actual physical book afterwards, but I would really recommend it as a listen to book as well because of your, because you narrate it obviously in the, no, you don't narrate it actually. That's not true. It's somebody else narrates nah, it. it was, head. That's, that's one of those things that, you know, if somebody makes it look easy, it's hard. So yeah. I, I, let, I let the professional read that. Well, baby. although I have to say whenever he was doing his late night FM DJ voice, uh, and then I heard you do it, I was like, oh, he's not as good as Chris. Because <laughs> <laughs> you could tell obviously he's, he has never actually used these techniques, whoever was reading it. So it's good to listen to, but but uh, but yours was better. Yours was definitely better. So of Thank course, you. as it would be, as it would be. So definitely, um, guys, go and check those out. But I would highly recommend that you join the challenge um, and also read the book. And you're on masterclass as well, which is amazing. Yeah. And that was really helpful to be able to see the 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 things that you teach, to be able to actually watch them being played out in real life, you know, with the actress. Um, that was yeah, really, yeah. really helpful, really helpful as well. And I want to do a little bit of role playing here today, but we, we ran out of time. So it was absolutely perfect. I apologize to have kept you so long. Chris, any um, parting words that you want to share? Don't feel you have to, but I'm like, is there anything, like if, if there was something I could have asked you that I that I haven't asked you, you know, if there's something you could have asked yourself, is, is there anything final you'd like to share? No, I just want to give encouragement to everybody to just try this stuff out. We like to say small stakes practice for high stakes results. Like you can try, you don't have to try this first time at a big negotiation over sauna. You know, you could try it out with whoever your your daily interactions with your significant others, because it's about understanding other people better anyway. So just, you know, try it out under small stakes where you don't feel like you have a lot at stake. You'll find this will come to you fast as soon as you just start, you know, test driving it a little bit and it'll be fun and you'll be happier. You know, those are all good things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll definitely add a, a real um, skill to your arsenal of skills that will help you to have more in your life, whether that's more joy, more happiness, better relationships, yeah. more money. That's yeah. certainly a, a, an effect, side effect that I have had. You know, I've been able to to build my business, double our turnover every year. And a lot of it, you know, in the last 15 months has been a real commitment to bettering myself with better skills. And certainly, Chris, just from me, I want to say thank you for 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 writing the book. Thank you for putting, you know, developing yourself to where you did and then sharing this information with others because it truly is life-changing. And I don't get to say that very often. There's very few people that really, truly touch my life and make a difference in it. But you and what you've taught, I can honestly say is is one of them. So, or you are one of them and your book is, is one of the best resources I've ever, I've ever had to change my life and to be better in it. So thank you. And thanks for making the time to be here at 10 PM and now 11 PM. Uh, it's my pleasure. I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I'm glad we met. Chris, thank you so much. Um, for everything and uh we will hopefully catch up with you soon i'll see you live in the challenge i'll be there every day with my overachiever hat on (laughs) excellent i look forward to it okay chris voss thank you so much thank you kim thanks 
Well, I hope that you enjoyed that interview just as much as I did. Oh, it was just amazing. It was so worth getting up at 5.45 a.m. on a Sunday morning for, although I am an early riser too, but I had to cut short my evening last night. My husband and I were drinking wine and having dinner and I was like, oh shit, better not drink any more wine because I have to be up at 5.45 a.m. But let me tell you, Chris was 100% worth it. If you guys would like to sign up for the challenge, I absolutely encourage that you do. Go to Chris's Instagram page. That's the quickest way to find it. It's the FBI negotiator. Go to his Instagram page, click the link in his bio, and it will take you immediately to the free challenge and you can sign up today. It starts tomorrow, Monday the 18th, and you don't want to miss this. I'm going to be there. My whole team have signed up for it as well. So we're all going to be in the group together. And, you know, it's a great way to come hang out with me and hang out with my team as well as learn some really, really valuable life skills. And of course, if you want to be in with the chance of winning one of our Sculpted Vegan programs, simply leave a review of this podcast wherever you listen to it and you will be into the draw to win a, um, a, a Sculpted Vegan program and we will do the draw at the start of February for January's winner. And all that is left is for me to say thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. I hope that you will follow Chris. I hope you'll join the challenge. Have an awesome rest of the weekend or week wherever you are listening to this and I will see you in another episode of the Kim Constable podcast. Bye for now.